So I wanted to just uh, share a little thought about the word opportunity. And uh, because uh, every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, there are kind of opportunities that either you get it, grab them or you don't grab them. Either they're there or they're gone. And um, you see this throughout Scripture. For instance, of course, in all three synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the account of the woman who says to herself, uh, Jesus is passing by. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be saved. And, and literally the Greek word is uh, delivered, healed, sozo uh, in the Greek or in the verb form and soteria in the noun form. Um, in John chapter 12, uh, Jesus is uh, praying uh, concerning the fact that he's about to go be with the Father. And he says, Father, the hour has come. This is the opportunity. Um, glorify your name. And then God the Father speaks back audibly and says, I have both glorified it and I'll glorify it again. But if you remember, some people heard that word and some people wondered if it th thundered. You know what? I forgot to bring a bottle of water up here. Can somebody grab me a little water? Do I have some there? My, my voice is very dry today. And I'm also so tired. I hope I don't fall asleep while I'm actually talking. <laughs> I think I've done that before. It's bad when you're so boring that you, you fall asleep during your messages. <laughs> Um, so, you know, as a pastor, you uh, are given by God. It's, it's, it's not in you. It's the, it's the gifting of Jesus. You know, Ephesians 4 tells us that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church to do the work of this ministry. And uh, what, you know, as the, as I've been so blessed to watch the, the last two years as the, you know, we have a leadership team of eight families, eight couples. And uh, I've, I've just watched these guys and ladies grow into uh, being better evangelists, better teachers, better shepherds. And God is doing all these things in, in, in these uh, folks. And it's wonderful to behold. And, um, uh, uh, but it's a piece of Jesus, because Jesus is actually the perfect apostle. He's not just the uh, got an apostolic calling or whatever. He's the apostle prototype, if you will. And he's the prophet prototype, if you will. And, of course, the evangelist prototype. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you have any kind of burden to be fruitful and to be used of the Lord, which you ha must have if Christ is in you, uh, if, if you're not really concerned about the lost, then Christ is not in you. Um, uh, that, it's as simple as that. But, he, you know, Philip is the only person 
that is actually called an evangelist in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 8, we see the model of what an evangelist biblically is. So, um, so anyway, back to this whole thing of opportunity. Uh, you know, another great example is, is throughout the centuries, there's been this uh, debate in, in the church about... Um, whether Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, also called Canticles, is actually a word picture of Christ and his church. And some people are very adamant that it definitely is. It's plainly obvious that it is. And some people say no. And uh, that's because some people lack imagination. Uh, and... and uh, <laughs> And frankly, it doesn't take a lot of imagination. But, you know, of course, um, there's a school of thought that it's quite literally uh, written by Solomon to describe, uh, you know, his most beloved wife, which I guess must have been hard for him to decide since he had, you know, 1,000 candidates. But uh, <laughs> um, between wives and concubines, uh, they added up to 1,000. Uh, man, trying to get an appointment with him must have been tough. But uh, <laughs> can you put me in the planner when, whenever they're invented? Um, sure, they had written planners back then, but but not not in your pocket. Uh, so so you know even uh, you know so in the Song of uh, Solomon. Uh, you know, the, the bridegroom in kind of invites her to come, uh, you know, get out of bed and come, let's go run around, you know, run out, hang out or whatever. And, uh, and uh, she, like, doesn't do it. And then, but later, she regrets that she should have, but the opportunity's gone. And so, um, one of my favorites, of course, is that in both Matthew 4 and Luke 4, um, after the three temptations, which if you read them carefully, they reverse the order of which one is number two and which one is three. I don't know what to make of that. You can, uh, of course, of course, you know, in, in the way they did history and so forth, uh, chronology wasn't necessarily uh, the most important point. So, um, Uh, but in any case, when when the temptations were done, even even the the devil, even Satan himself, it says, departed to for him to what, to to an opportune time. So he's looking for an opportunity. You know, some of us really, really, really are too tossed to and fro and too inconsistent in our uh, in, in our Christian walks because we don't actually recognize that. Like you, you the, the whole point of humbling yourself, of having regular spiritual disciplines, of uh, walking in the light and accountability with uh, significant people in the church so that you're, uh, is, is for covering so that there's, you don't give an opportunity. And, uh, 
learning to not give the enemy an opportunity is part of the spiritual growth sanctification process. And, um, you know, it's a, a, ma a mark of maturing when you give the, uh, the enemy an opportunity less often. But so here's my concern. Here's why I wanted to share this. Um, we felt the Lord call us to um, ask the church to observe a season of seeking his presence, seeking a, a, a more realistic, significant encounter with the Holy Spirit and a, and a more consistent, regular filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, from Ash Wednesday to Pentecost. And during it, um, we're kind of focusing on little 21-day periods, and so we're uh, coming to the end of one of those. But, um, you know, we're going to have prayer meetings this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the last item in the bulletin covers that. And I'm just always amazed in these seasons how, like, some people have a very life-changing, significant uh, uh, thing that happens during those seasons. We did a 40-day such season last year. And uh, Bradbury, do you mind if I share what you shared? But um, um, And it was eye-opening for me. It actually, his... Would, but both John Bradbury and Melody, who's uh, Sydney and Melody, uh, and, and I exchange texts. They're on vacation, but they're watching the video cast. Hi there, Sydney. Hi, Melody. Uh, uh, I think they're in the Carolinas, uh, and, and uh, so hopefully it's nice weather down there, even better than here, probably. Um, so um, I forgot my train. Oh, so. Uh, we were having uh, these worship and prayer gatherings. And honestly, uh, there's kind of a thing that you probably should learn about that's called the corporate anointing. If you don't know about this, you should know this. And that is, uh, there's more of the presence of God in, in a different kind of way in a, in a group of people worshiping and, and rending their hearts and not their garments and humbling themselves and spending time in worship and seeking the Lord together and getting on your face and confessing your sins and, and all that kind of stuff that goes into how to get a hold of God. Uh, there's more of that in a group setting often than there is by yourself. And that's very much impacted by who's there and where they're at spiritually. It very much is so. And I, I actually noticed that last week uh, because uh, Monday night, and you know, we don't have a leadership team because we're trying to be uh, sectarian or, uh, uh, you know, like proud of this person or that person. We're actually just trying to make sure that we take advantage of the gifts God's put in the church and the maturity levels in such a way that you have somebody that can help you grow. And it was kind of amazing when we had only the leadership group last Monday night. Um, the presence of God was so wonderful and so t intense that it was life-changing. 
There was, there's no way around it. It just was there. Because um, if you, you know, this is something we cover in the Grace Upon Grace series. But there are, when, when you experience God, like if you're having your regular daily seek God devotions or re- reading the scriptures and so forth, whenever you touch the Lord, it changes your life. Paul makes this clear in his Corinthian epistles when he says that we're changed from glory to glory. Anytime you encounter God in a less than theoretical, abstract way only, and actually uh, it, it goes beyond good theology into good practice, that is good experience. When you touch the living God, you can't help but be changed. Like the woman who said, if I just touch the helm of his garment, I'll be saved. And of course, the Greek word for saved is a total concept, delivered, delivered from demonic spirits, delivered from addictions and bondages. Uh, it means healed. It, mean, it, it, it means healed mentally. It means spiritually, emotionally, physically. It means uh, forgiven of sins. It means cleansed. It means made more whole. It, uh, it, it means like, wow, you got the real thing here. Uh, because God, the whole point of salvation is God longed to, not out of any need in himself. That's very important to understand theologically. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternally three distinct persons in one unique being. When you have that figured out, explain it to me. But uh, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, outside and above time, eternity is not just a long, 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 long time. I'm probably going to blow John Gray's uh, uh, message time for today, but John Gray loves me and he'll forgive me. And, uh, and if you get what I'm saying today, it's a life and death issue. I am not exaggerating when I say this is life and death for every person hearing this. This is the difference, you know, um, Rome, it's kind of funny because um, secular people, that is lost people, people who don't know God, people who are blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid, uh, but we don't say that because that would be unkind. They're just blind. Leave it at that. Dead is dead. And uh, dead people don't walk, they don't talk, they don't see, they don't understand anything. Uh, and, um, but they like to refer to, uh, the ancient, um, empires of Greece and Rome as the glory of Greece and the grandeur of Rome. And I can remember even as an undergraduate student raising my hand in a class, uh, hey, uh, Stephen, can you get me a couple grapes or, or a little bit of juice or something? My sugar's so low, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shaking. Um, I had a, I broke the fast and had a banana, but uh, oh, that was several hours ago. Um, so I'm a little, little weak. I'm like just my sugar's a little low, and I'm a little disoriented. Um, and I, I don't want to do a good job here. This is so important for us. 
you, you know how you are with your kids that like if you could like you like I just want to make sure that you give them the best education that they understand everything they need to understand that they're safe etc like not like if there was if you really wanted to give someone to something having experiencing God is the only gift that's worth anything but it's worth everything in ways that I don't have vocabulary to tell you that and so that that's why preachers actually speak so long it really is because there's an, a saying I'm a pre, like I'm trying to deliver my soul like God put this thing in here and I'm trying to explain it to you but we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us who is adequate for these things Paul says our adequacy comes from God but the truth is uh, these uh, the, like to, God is so amazing uh you know, we, we'll forever be wrestling with how to explain that, uh, explain what you need to know and hear and experience. And that's a great wrestling match that's worth continuing to wrestle. So, um, I, I forget where I was. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, thank you, John. You know, uh, I remember raising my hand and actually going, you know, everyone talks about the glory of Greece and the grandeur of Rome, but it seems like the Romans were pretty darn decadent and sick. And like, I don't know. I mean, the, the slavery they practiced was, it, it was horribly cruel. It was, the, the Roman justice system uh, that, our, that Western justice is based on had certain good points. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, but um, thanks. Which which kind is this? Thank you. I, thank you so much. That helps. Um, but you know, for in the Roman Colosseum, with the whole uh, killing of the Christians and the gladiator fights and so forth. The people who were gladiators weren't there voluntarily. They were slaves. And they were so sick. You, you think it's sick that people like violent video games, which it is sick. And it's frankly sick that, that even Christian men spend time on these things. What a waste of life. Don't do that. Uh, John Piper, by the way, a very wonderful Christian pastor out of Minnesota, has... Uh, short little videos. He's got one that everyone should watch about a hundred times called Don't Waste Your Life. Just Google like Don't Waste Your Life, John Paper, Desiring God. Don't don't waste your life. Only what's sowed toward etern into eternal things lasts. Nothing lasts except relationships but you know the Roman Emperor would actually um, put like put his thumb down or his thumb up whether like whether arbitrarily whether to allow them to live or to die um, I mean Rome was a perverse decadent culture it, it 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 eventually collapsed because no one was was willing to defend it anymore 
That's what happens in every declining country. When I was a kid, they used to drill in your head that America had never lost a war. But we had a tie in Korea, and we've lost every war since then. Because we don't have the will to win anymore. Because we don't even know what we believe in anymore. And no, there, there's not one in a hundred people that understand the foundations, the spirit, and the, the reasons for the, with the American uh, at Christian Republic that it that it once was. And I don't actually believe that it is worth dying for anymore. I try to keep people from enlisting in the service, to be honest. We're involved in so many things that aren't necessarily biblically good to be involved in. It's kind of sketchy. But let's not go into politics. I don't care for politics. So back to the glory of God. Um, I, I can't stress enough the whole concept of opportunity you know, the woman, she she's right when she says, Jesus is passing by. You know, this wasn't a time period where, um, you know, like, if I, sometimes I'll think, I'd like, I'd like to see Ray Nethery, and I'll just go in the car and drive four hours and hang out with him for a day and then come back or something. Uh, you know, but, uh, Back, back in those days, it might have taken like four days to get there and four days to get back. You know? We have video calls. I'm, I'm still just amazed that I do Bible studies with people on the other side of the world all the time, uh, every week, and, it, and the, the sound clarity and their voice inflections, everything is so, is so perfect. It's, it's amazing. You can just, you can really disciple people anywhere on the planet. Uh, you know, with modern victim, you know, St Stephen has certain guys that he's discipling, like uh, Adam's brother Joshua, who lives in California, and they have what two or three hour Bible study once a week. Is that right, Stephen? Yeah. So, and I've listened in on Stephen does some of the ones with some of the Indian guys for me sometimes, and I li listen in on from the next room. It's, and he does a great job, and it's, it's amazing. Anyway, back to this. Like, um, it was obvious, like, last uh, fall when we did this that it started filtering past the leadership team, and probably about 30 people in the church were pretty significantly impacted. I started to talk about John Bradbury. Um, you know, after we had, it took us a week or two of fasting and praying. Some people... Um, you know, would do like one day fast to and increase it from like they did it once a month. Now they were doing it every week, or uh, they did uh, it twice a week. Um, we've had um, a few ladies who are very gifted and at fasting have done seven day fast. Um, that's not that common for a lady, to be honest, and probably not wise for some ladies. And so, like, by the way, don't do fasting beyond, like, oh, 30 hours. If you haven't studied some things about fasting, had some talks with people who are more mature, uh, I actually discuss all the fasting I do with my doctor 
all the time. And I actually scheduled an appointment to have everything about my blood tested uh, toward the end of every fast. And we have an appointment afterwards to, to go over the results so I can see how it infected or, or all kinds of things, some of which I don't understand that well. But, uh, but that's what he's great at. So um, I especially don't think uh, like people under 25 should do much fasting. I think what uh, like a t teenager, uh, in fact, you know, Stephen was mentioning the thing that uh, Lent is actually 46 days um, during his message today. And Roseanne uh, explained the reason why that is. And uh, I grew up Catholic and I should have known that, but I never was taught that. And I didn't know that it was actually Jason Hale who first taught me that because he used to do these 40 day fast. Uh, when he and he would uh, not fast on Sundays, but he'd do a fast for the whole Lent, but he'd eat uh, freely every Sunday and then go back to fasting. And that's actually historically a common practice. Uh, so, um, and for some people that'd be way wiser than trying to do a long fast and so forth. So anyway, um, fasting, I'm not going to give a teaching on that, but we have books on it. Uh, we, there, we, uh, uh, if you don't know the books that we, any of the leadership team knows the books and can help you know it. Don't fast if you haven't read some books on it. And if you don't pre-schedule it and don't try to do too much. And if you're not at a certain level of spiritual maturity, regular fasting brings you into spiritual warfare. I don't recommend it for people who are kind of trying to get through some basically uh, regular spiritual confusions and so forth. And, you know, we have people at all sorts of different levels. Get some guidance. Don't, don't go for, uh, you know, I think anyone can do like a 16-hour fast and maybe work up to a 20, 24, 30. I wouldn't go beyond that if you haven't read a lot of books about fasting and discussed it with mature people. And I certainly wouldn't do that every week if you're not in a place where there's a lot of spiritual maturity and clarity in your life. So, because it, it does bring you into sensitivity to the entire spiritual dimension, not just to the presence of God. Does everybody hear that? That's very... Very important, John. I'm gonna, I am going to take your time today. Um, so um, that that's huge, uh, but also it fasting awakens all your appetites. I like to make jokes like, you know, I start dreaming about pancakes or lasagna. And, you know, I always joke that, yeah, I was drinking, you know, I was dreaming about uh, eating a big plate of spaghetti and I woke up and part of my pillow was gone, which, which has never actually happened. But, you know, but uh, um, you know, my wife likes to tease me. Um, is, is Tiffany the other person that shares that? She's probably... That, uh, I like to watch cooking shows when I'm fasting. <laughs> and I would never watch one otherwise. And then they have ingredients. Like, I don't care for shrimp. But, you know, they'll be making shrimp this or that. And I'll be like, this looks pretty good. We should try this one. <laughs> it's, done. it's like, there's no way I would ever try that. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, you, just understand, like, 
don't get into a battle that you don't really have the equipment to win. You know, some people cause themselves a lot of trouble because they are trying to evangelize and disciple people with bigger problems than you're equipped to, to know how to help. Don't do that. Sure, we want to help all, every kind of person. But when you get into, you know, certain kinds of uh, spiritual problems, mental addictions, whatever, some, some people are kind of out of your league, and you're wise to know that. And especially in terms of whether you, because you can't really be effective helping someone grow if you don't get them involved with other members of the body of Christ. So if, if you're married and you have children, you need to be very careful who you're discipling and where and when. And, and don't, don't bring your family into spiritual problems or even your single household. Uh, so again, get counsel when you, be, don't do war as, uh, by yourself. War is a team activity, <laughs> you know, and spiritual, seeking God is warfare. But seeking God, it makes all, like with, uh, as James says, a body without a spirit is, is dead. You know, one of the um, first significant deaths in my life, all of you know, my little brother died very suddenly when I was 17 and I had prayed for a little brother and we had this, he was the closest relationship I ever had. And, and, you know, uh, um, my, I, the talk I gave at his viewing the night was the first Christian, uh, message I ever gave. I'd been a Christian like three months. But, you know, when I walked in to see him in the funeral home, it, the, it, was, the, it, was, it was so clear, wow, and this, there's a body here, but there's no spirit and soul. This is not Bill or Tom or whoever you're, they're there with Jesus or, or wherever they are. If they're not, uh, you know, Christian, then they're not with Jesus, of course. And, uh, and there really is a heaven, there really is a hell. And there's really consequences eternally for life. So without, the, without a soul and a spirit, a body is dead. Believe me, like what we do on Sundays, what we do on our discipleship groups, uh, what we do uh, with very, every aspect of, of, of our, our life is worthless it's religion, it's, not, it's, you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry if we're not gonna have God with us. You know, I, I love when Moses is, is interceding for the people and he says, if you don't go with us, I don't wanna go. And I don't know how to communicate this to our church because one of the things that became obvious last week, we had one night that we had only two or three sort of, of, of sort of the 20 or 30 most core people in the church. And we had eight or 10 uh, more troubled people, you might say, or people who are less far along in growth and sanctification. And uh, it was really tough getting into the presence of God at all that night. Then there, there was another evening where it was way beyond the leadership team but the number of people who were kind of spiritually doing well and whole was about 80% of the people in the gathering. And the presence of God was amazing in that room. And 
lots of people who came in not caring much of the presence of God really were impacted big in good ways. Um, you know, uh, Dave, David Furlong, I'm going to talk a little bit about when you got baptized in the Spirit. Is that okay? You know, I, some of you had the opportunity to be there when uh, David Furlow got baptized in the Spirit. Uh, there was no, another brother who, yeah, you know, is he here? I thought I saw him earlier, but I don't see him. Is he here somewhere? Does he have children's church or something? He's not here in the room right now, but he, I think he was in the building earlier. And then, uh, you know, on Vesh was there. David Yamarte, who hopefully is watching my video, was there. But, it, like, God's spirit fell so powerfully that, you know, after we were still praying for an hour or two just because the presence of God was so great, and this was wonderful. And uh, I actually eventually went home, and uh, I was told that, like, David was still crying and worshiping and praying and speaking in tongues and crying and worshiping and encountering God, like, an hour or two after I left. And I, I was actually like, I hope he was able to drive home safely. <laughs> uh, you know, that, the wonderful thing about when you get really drunk in the spirit, your, your mind will be the clearest it's ever been. And sometimes I only need an hour or two of sleep because my mind is just so clear. Uh, and uh, you, can, you can get so much more reading and studying and praying and all kind of things done because your mind is super sharp. And because um, yeah, there's all kind of reasons, physically and spiritually, toxins, you know, and you need to know a lot about a lot to do much of this. Don't. But my bottom line here is seek, you know, uh, is it Hosea 10, 12? See if you can put that on the board, Josiah. Seek um, the Lord, break up your fallow ground. Uh, I think I did a thing with uh, some of the leaders, or a couple of the prayer meetings. I put this verse in, in uh, about 10 different translations. Um, on, and uh, some of them break up your uncultivated ground. There are things that stand between you and walking in the Spirit. And we've had a problem in our church that is this. Uh, um, most people who come here sense a, a little bit more presence of the Holy Spirit in our worship than, than a lot of contemporary churches have because we're really kind of as a nation at a low ebb of spiritual flow right now. And the kind of outpouring of the spirit that was that started in the late 50s and dwindled in the early 1980s, that uh, affected both the charismatic and Pentecostals movement, has been pretty dry the last 35 years. Now God's gracious, and there's there's great worship bands and worship worship songs these days. I mean, really, there are. I'm so amazed at some of the songs. I just you know cry the first time they play them. Um, but uh, so most people are willing to let us uh, do some Bible studies with you and so forth and there's I don't know 15 or 20 people in our church who know how to lead those Bible studies and we we didn't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one ministry or one-on-two or 
three people at a time, whatever. And Deanna and I do the most of it, but uh, there's quite a few other people. Stephen does a lot of it, et cetera, et cetera. Teresa and anyone on the leadership team has, has probably done it with various peoples. And of course, because of what we call the five first steps of earning the kingdom, you've got to re, uh, we re-examine re, re receiving Jesus Christ because um, around 99.9979% of people that we encounter because of today's Christianity uh, have a very much higher estimation of, of where they're at spiritually than they actually are. And for, for most people, um, like John Gray, I'm glad he said yes, because I'm going to use John Gray, because uh, it, it, uh, John Gray, uh, if there was any kind of hint that you really could use, it, he was a bit quite defensive about it at first. And so that's the hardest thing, because there's this thing in evangelical Christianity that's a very deep, I, we got it right, we know it all, and so forth, but it's very much accompanied with... Um, we got all the interpretations right, so what do we need to study church history for and, you know, systematic theology and historical theology and biblical theology and, and uh, like, you, there's just this higher estimation of where we're really at spiritually than we are that is almost 100% of evangelical Christians. It's, it, and, um, and the only way out of that would be to really go up 10 notches higher in biblical studies and, and plug that into studying the apostolic age and the apostolic fathers and understanding like how Christians lived in the first few centuries compared to now. And then also looking at the, the various Reformation movements and especially the Puritans and so forth. But there, you know, like eventually you could kind of start getting your eyes open to, wow, what we think is this biblical Christianity that we're so proud of is so sub-biblical that I, sometimes it's, not, it's hard to believe it's actually on the right page. And in, and in general, the, hopefully this would help you, but what came out of the, of the fundamentalist modern controversies in the 1830s through 1890s was uh, eventually the conservative evangelical fundamentalists adopted the way of thinking about the faith that the Pharisees, yeah, the Pharisees had and the more liberal denominations that, you know, baptize, or, you know, have homosexual ministers and baptize kangaroos and, uh, you know, uh, it's all about and have only like social welfare concerns, but not with the gospel involved in it and all that kind of thing. Uh, they have very much taken the general worldview and approach of the Sadducees. And what people don't get is it seems that when you're first, you know, I've even heard some pretty significant Bible teachers talking about the intertestament period and how those two, the Pharisees and Sadducees developed, that have said, you know, the Pharisees, they're the ones that had it right. <laughs> they, they were the good guys. And then I, if I gave you some names of who I've heard say that, it would shock many of you. Um, so um, you got to see that neither one of them, they, they not only didn't like Jesus, they didn't recognize him when he was standing right in front of them. 
And we just don't have a clue that that could be us. Because I've gone to the Presbyterian Church all my life. And, you know, I was raised on Bible stories. That's especially deep in the evangelical thing. I've been to Sunday school all my life. I know it all. And it's so a lot of times it'll take us uh, someone coming for two or three years before they're willing to go, okay, I'm really busy and stuff, and you've been trying to get me in a Bible study for three years now, so I'll somehow make time for it. But, but it, getting them to a point where it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know that much, that, uh, but you can't make any progress in life till you get there. When you really kind of say, like, Lord, I'm a baby Christian, I don't know a darn thing, that's kind of like I work hard every day at getting myself into that place before the scriptures. Like, Lord, I'm completely a beginner. I, I'm desperate for you. Uh, yeah, I'm open-minded. And honestly, we've been on this pioneer back to biblical Christianity for almost 50 years now. At least Catherine and I saw you, not so much. <laughs> you know. uh, but um, I would say half of the things the Lord's helped us with, and mercifully, have, have even come just in the last 20 years of it. And, you know, I honestly have encountered where I spoke something on Sunday morning for one reason or another, someone said something that, that I said, hmm, uh, uh, okay, you know, like, you, you got to get past, you think what you know. So I, I usually just say, oh, that's interesting. But in, in my mind, I'm saying, I'm going to go home and search this out and see if what, that's what the Brians did that were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. And I've actually, by Sunday night, thought what I taught on Sunday morning wasn't correct. <laughs> Not on the whole message, but sometimes, but, but, but sometimes that happens. Because someone came along that God had given more insight to, and literally, we have benefited by taking seriously the teachings of about four or 500 movements that are out there right now. And looking at what little piece of it do they see better? Because nobody that I know of has this idea of let's go get the whole thing. A lot, they just assume we have the whole thing already. Okay, so I'm, what I'm, so what I'm trying to do is just shake you up a little bit and, and help us say, what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to have a season of, of saying, we're drier than we probably think we are. We know less than we think we know. We need much more of God's presence in our midst that, than we even know how to know. We're trying to say, oh, save us. Reveal yourself to us. We got to know you. We need to know you. And so I'm, I'm going to try to bring this to a close. But, um, I, you know, I, I, and this was spontaneous, so I know it's all over the place. But if you're getting what, if you get what I'm saying, this will change your life. Like, 
we have this thing that's happened a lot where people get baptized in the Holy Spirit and often it's an amazing blowout, wonderful presence of God thing. And, you know, some of our people like Deanna and others are, are so good at helping prepare. Like when we do these Bible studies, the reason we drag it out some, like we're Sindhu. Sindhu and I did these Bible studies together, when, when was it, two falls ago? Back before COVID, because we did them at Wright State. <laughs> so, and uh, we had, what, three or four hour Bible studies for a whole semester, right? Uh, of course, Sindhu asked about everything, you know, and, you know, and I would be, and I would explain, like, oh, I gave her, like, uh, an eight-hour teaching on uh, what happened to the people of God between the year 722 with the Assyrians all the way to the day of Pentecost. <laughs> but, but Sindhu actually wanted that. <laughs> so uh, most people would have had stoned me to death. But, uh, and... and my wife would have, but <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, she, she, um, we've had this problem where a lot of people have gotten baptized in the Spirit, but we haven't gone on not just to experience in spiritual gifts. That's been a problem. Some people have gotten, like spiritual gifts in our midst are you are more most often done in many of the small group deliverances, get praying for people to get baptized in the spirit. All those kind of meetings have lots of prophecies, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. But uh, that's part of why we started discipleship groups. We, we need you to grow in spiritual gifts and experience them. It's an important mark of what it means to walk with God. And, um, the, uh, the more important, that's just a, really a small outgrowth of a bigger picture thing that we haven't really gone to a place where we've learned to walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit, through the Spirit, for the glory of Christ, and, and we're not living on our own natural strength and mind. If, if your Christianity is something that anybody could do, we haven't got started yet. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. That's why when Jesus is teaching, the disciples go, Lord, that, it's impossible. And Jesus, without, with, with man, it's not possible. And so, you know, like God wants to actually daily give you experiences where you met somebody, you knew right where they were at, and you told them supernatural things about themselves. That's not a normal, it should, it's common. And, and we have people who kind of live there more than others, but I want us all to live there. That's, that's kind of what my appeal is this morning. This is totally subjective, heart, heart, giving you my heart. Like, I don't want us to be blind. I don't want us to think we know way more than we know. Sometimes people will be in our group two, three, four years with that. I know all this stuff. But once you get to a point where you kind of really just are free to go, like, I don't know anything, then God can really help you start to grow. 
and it'll be partly your own biblical studies, partly the right, reading the right books. You, the, the, the desire to love God with your mind will grow. You'll, you'll want to learn more and so forth. Um, so my, my appeal this morning is be like the woman when Jesus is walking by. Don't, don't get out of this season without, um, without getting like changed. And here, here are some things you can do. Some of it may be your approach to seeking the Lord. Talk to someone who seems like, you know, the reason we acknowledge Sam Chen Sing Poon since he just walked in the room is because Sam walks in a way with God that we think if you ask him, you'll, you'll, you'll benefit from it. Now, not everyone who lives that way is on the leadership team for various reasons, but you know, we have people beyond the leadership team that, that live you know, in this stuff quite well. And, uh, and, and certainly everyone who comes here has made some progress in these things. I'm just trying to help us see the, like we think we've gone 10 miles sometimes when it's like, yeah, but I wanted to take you 500 miles is what the Lord's heart is. He, he says it's his, the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And you can't read about the kingdom in the Bible without reading about the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God isn't right, is, is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not meat and drink. It's not rules. It's not, uh, you know, days of, you know, it's not whether we have the right uh, vestment colors. I like church calendar things. I like uh, changing the vestment count. I, I'm so nutty about ties and shirts. I've, I, you know, I bought a, I, I did this for spring. I'm, I'm going to wear a white shirt on a, on a, or a white tie on a purple shirt for Easter. I'm, I'm all for that, but that doesn't mean a darn thing. What means everything is whether God helps us by coming. As good as uh, Stephen's sermon was this morning at 9.30, it was mostly good because the power of God was flowing in it. And the insights were, yes, attained through hundreds of hours that he spent seeking God and studying, but they were attained through hundreds of encounters with the Lord where he, you know, as he was studying. Right. And I just want that for everyone in here. I'm jealous for you that, especially because this, this is why children grow up to walk with the Lord or they don't grow up to walk with the Lord. All of our uh, Christian worldview and apologetics teaching of them really, uh, I've, I've, first of all, right now, I know every Christian school in the area a little bit to one degree or another. I've been around Christian schools since 1970s. I'm not that impressed with what we're doing for our kids in terms of the impact. And I believe, like, you know, I brought gold to halfway across the world, and thankfully, because Deanna helped us and so forth. But why? So she could go to this great Christian school called Dominion Academy. And it's that good a school that it's worth it. But uh, over the years, I, I, I don't want to get in any trouble with Wayne or Sandy, cause, but they, I've talked to them. They, Michelle Caldwell would agree with me. The, the number of kids that have really walked with God and really gotten right, right isn't that great. 
and, and they have the highest rate of, of the good outcomes of that of any Christian school I'm aware of. We're living in a time where it, like the faith is under severe attack and the deepest problem we have is we, we don't know we're blind, deaf, and wretched, you know, like Laodicea. We don't need, we, we, we think we don't need glasses. We need eye transplant. And, you know, creative miracles like healing a man born blind, the reason no one else did that in the Bible until Jesus, when almost every other kind of miracle was done, is because that was very biblically symbolic. God is saying only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. You were born blind. We are blind. The, the presence of God will change everything. Don't go through this season and not get a hold of the presence of God. Don't underestimate how much talking with some older Christians who live it. The, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. And honestly, even, even I am a very, uh, I, like I'm, I get more advice from more leading other Christians than any person I know. <laughs> you know, Lou Callagher, some of you know, he's one of the guys I get advice from. He, he actually said, Greg, your best quality is you really know how to get advice. I really, like I go, I ask everybody everything. <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't, you know, care if they know what, what, what a lousy Christian I've been. Because uh, who cares? Because I'm not going to stand before them on the last day. You know? Um, so, yeah, I've been a terrible Christian from my youth up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and, and so does everyone get what I'm saying? I beg of us, let, we, God wants to take us to a whole other place, and the only thing that can happen there is, is we got to have more of him. Uh, one of the things I want to also say, and, and then I really will end. I'm sorry, it's late. Th this is a very important point for you to see. Um, in 1974, I left Cleveland, Ohio, to go to Bowling Green State University. What was on my agenda was to go to college. And I did, during that time, I did graduate with honors and, and went on to get a master's degree and that was at Bowling Green. But why God sent me there was to meet this group of Christians called the Fellowship, who God had put the same goal he'd put in my heart, how do we get back to the whole thing? Now, some of them still have that goal, some don't, doesn't matter, but, but those years, changed everything in terms of direction and I want to say this to you some of the things that there's a lot of people in this church right now that this or that vocationally is happening to you the job's not working out right you know right states kind of fell apart um, and but God didn't bring you here to go to right state or whatever or not even a Christian college or anything you know, God brought you here to meet this uh, group of people, Grace Christian Fellowship, to take you to a whole different place in the Lord because of this principle. In John 15, if you don't bear fruit, you're taken away as a branch. I've seen people who have resisted what God has done in their life so many times that God, I, I, are they saved? I believe in perseverance of the saints. 
There is one thing that to go to heaven, that's unfortunately become too much of the goal in, in the very reduced Christianity we have. The goal is, is for the kingdom of God to come through us. Into, and it has to first come to, in and through us. And so we have to become something. And God, God brought you here, whether it was through, you, you make, you know, the Air Force sent you here, but it wasn't the Air Force who sent you here. And he may not even want you to stay in the Air Force. Don't do well in the Air Force and miss totally what God brought you here for. You know, that, uh, that, I don't know how to say that more plainly. Some of you, that applies to your school, your jobs, whatever. But the, the deepest secrets of God are found in the three delivery systems of grace, a much better uh, approach and deeper approach. Not just reading the Bible more, it's learning how to get the right paradigms of interpretation to get more out of it. And generally you need a, a, a that's why God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's generally going to be a Christian who already sees those things who's going to help you see, see the better ways to get more out of your Bible. And that is a relational thing that takes hours of time together. And, uh, and another ingredient of it is, of course, what we're saying, a much deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. Even those of us that are baptized in the Spirit and Grace Christian Fellowship, don't overestimate what that means. That's a little bit like uh, getting taught the alphabet when the long-range goal is to, is to study chemistry. And don't, don't go your whole life uh, being like a little bit in the kingdom and a little bit in the world and living a little bit godly and a little bit... That's the most miserable place to live there is. So I've said enough. Let's, let's get, get me out of here. <laughs> we have Scott here.